Welcome to the latest episode of the Sleep Like a Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. If you're new here you might have guessed from the title already that this is a podcast all about how babies and toddlers sleep. It's also all about the alternatives to the mainstream approach of sleep training and cry it out. So you can label it gentle, attachment, responsive, holistic, whatever you like. But really, this is just a podcast for anyone that's interested in finding out more about normal infant sleep why babies and toddlers sleep the way they do, what we can optimise and improve and what we need to let go of in terms of unrealistic expectations and stress around sleep. So I hope you are all well though. Um, As you might detect from my voice, the endless run of colds continues here at our house with my son picking up a different bug every week at nursery Um, my voice is still husky but hopefully we'll get a bit of respite soon from all of these colds and illnesses I've also just got back from a bit of a mini holiday we went up to my mum's up north to celebrate my little boy's second birthday which was so lovely but I'm still reeling from the fact that I no longer have a baby And it is such a cliche, so I feel slightly embarrassed to even say these words, but I honestly don't know where the time went. However, I am not saying it went so quick. I mean, because quite frankly, it did not. (laughs) The days were long, the nights were long, and even once we sorted my son's sleep, parenting was still a bit of a slog and the pandemic has not made it any easier (laughs) for our household. Um, but that said it's also been magical and fun and bloody brilliant at times so there is a lot to celebrate and feel grateful for for sure I just think that most parents get a bit more reflective and emotional around their children's birthdays especially in these early years and you can't help but think back to that moment when your whole life changed and that little person arrived in your life And with these new stages come changes to sleep and new challenges. And I actually, as a sleep consultant, adore working with toddlers and older children with sleep. But it's always different when it's your own child and you're living it day to day. So rather selfishly, I was thrilled (laughs) that today's guest said yes to an interview. Lindsay Hookway, if you're not already aware, is one of the leading voices on infant sleep here in the UK. And I mean, she has literally written the book on holistic sleep support and trained many, many sleep consultants, myself included. So Lindsay is a public speaker, a trainer, a lactation consultant, a sleep consultant, a paediatric nurse and former health visitor as well as a mum of two and a responsive parenting advocate and rather perfectly for me she has also just this month launched her third book about sleep which is called Still Awake in which she offers responsive sleep tools for toddlers to tweens. Her books are genuinely fantastic. Lindsay's writing is always totally relatable and non-judgmental which I just adore. So Still Awake looks at sleep for little ones from 18 months right up to the age of 12 and it's a must read for anyone who's interested in gentle and respectful parenting strategies 
And it also features lots of really great practical tools and ideas for improving nighttime for the whole family, just even beyond the baby years. So if you are one of the tens of thousands of people who follow Lindsay on Instagram, you'll know that her her approach to sleep is super gentle and also super practical too. So our interview did not disappoint and we covered lots of stuff um, that relates to little ones kind of 18 months and older. So bedtime boundaries, the difference between wants and needs and when that starts to become a thing the importance of communication between yourself and your child and how language changes so much around sleep and nighttime. And also we touched on the kind of reparenting we have to do of ourselves sometimes and how parenting toddlers and older children can bring up, bring up so much of your own kind of issues and background and baggage from your own childhood. I also thought this episode was a really lovely follow on from last week's, which was all about separation anxiety and emotional development of little ones. So I hope that you enjoy my chat with Lindsay today as I just loved recording it so much. Thanks again for listening. How are you doing? I'm good. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So if people haven't come across your work before, could you explain a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, sure. Um, So my background is in paediatric nursing. Um, I've been a paediatric nurse for about 20 years and I'm also a specialist community public health nurse, otherwise known as a health visitor. Um, I've worked all over the place, really, in um, the community, special care baby units, neonatal intensive care, uh, random children's medical and surgical wards. Um, I'm an international board certified lactation consultant or IBCLC. um, And I'm a holistic sleep coach, which is why I'm here. Um, And apart from that, I'm an author and speaker and researcher. So all of that keeps me pretty busy and I've got two kiddies as well two two kiddies and two fur babies amazing so yeah pretty pretty (laughs) jam-packed cv it it keeps me quiet (laughs) and what was it that that made you kind of go down the the kind of sleep avenue with your nursing background and health visiting what what took you in that direction it it was just um an identified need actually um it was the thing that people kept talking about it was the thing that was breaking parents um and particularly when I went into health visiting I noticed that well first of all there wasn't any training actually as as part of my health visitor training there was no um teaching about sleep it was all expected that we would just learn on the job so you know the sort of information that you receive is very much dependent on your um, practice teacher. Um, some people call those mentors, but um, your practice teacher. So you're, you're with your practice teacher for a year in practice and also in university, but there's no teaching at all on sleep. Um, and I'd always been interested in sleep, really. I'd, I'd done a lot of reading and um, a lot of, of my own thinking about sleep. And I, I was already a pretty committed gentle parenting advocate. And part of that comes from my uh, breastfeeding background, um, which preceded, you know, all of the sleep stuff. And I suppose it was just what I observed with my lactation clients, as well as my, um, my, my families in practice, that 
um, I don't know, sleep just seemed to be the thing that drove everybody nutso. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's the, well, for me, it was becoming a parent, it was the thing I was least prepared for as well. Um, like, I knew that babies didn't sleep through the night, but I also had this rather naive idea that after a few months, night feeds would dry up and... I'd kind of go through it. I thought I'd go through a bit of a tough patch for maybe two months. Yeah. And then I just kind of, you know, maybe, yeah, I just thought it would be all right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I must admit that, um, you know, when I, when I started all of this, I just, I just believed what the mainstream rhetoric was, which, which largely is that, um, yes, the first few months are a bit of a write off, um, but actually most babies will sleep through the night by about six months yeah. and that's you know that's what everybody reads um I like a lot of other people thought that you know because all the books said so that babies should probably be asleep at seven and they should probably sleep until seven um and you know I I, I just when my own children came along and you know they they didn't sleep anywhere but my arms um and they startled easily and they didn't want to go down in their cots drowsy but awake they hated their cot the cot became a glorified laundry folding area <laughs> um and I just thought well you know I, I can't be the only person in the world struggling with children who don't sleep where you want them to sleep or where you think you want to sleep because actually the truth was I really loved having them close to me and snuggled up I just felt terrible about it for the first child and then by the time we got to baby number two I decided it was all a crock of you know what mm -hmm. and I went with it yeah I I really I don't the only regret I have with uh sleep and my son was the um the guilt that I like that I felt you know that I yeah uh because I just felt like I was giving in I vent I think by I don't know at some point he just stayed in my bed and um I just felt really embarrassed about it and I'd just given in um yeah it's, it's such a shame uh, yes. that, that parents feel that way um yeah and actually Guilt. it was lovely Guilt's terrible yeah and then he didn't want to be in the bed anymore and like, I was like oh well, I quite quite like you being here and he was like nope see you later <laughs> so yeah and then you miss it so um I don't know um so I wanted to ask you then about your new your new book so you've written your first book um which is brilliant. Let's talk about your new family sleep, which is a really um, pragmatic and gentle and just lovely book about sleep and realistic expectations and practical suggestions of what you can do. Um, and I've, I've read it and I found it really, really helpful. Um, but what made you want to write a second baby sleep book? <laughs> um, so this is my third, actually. Mm. So um, before Let's Talk, there was Holistic Sleep Coaching, which was... Um, uh, my 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 first book baby and my third book baby came about because um, I actually really love working with toddlers and older children. Um, so let's talk about your new family sleep. Um, it, I think it's a very important and necessary book, um, and it's mainly written for pre-verbal children, so not well sort of pregnancy to eighteen months. Um, and it, it, it seems to be a very much loved book. Um, it seems to have been well reviewed and, and all of that is great. 
but actually quite a lot of people um, are struggling with their older kiddies. So they're two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, 10-year-old. Um, sleep seems to have gone completely um, just bonkers since COVID and lockdown, particularly for older children. Yeah. Um, and I, I just was getting more and more and more inquiries about older kiddies. And um, I realized that actually a lot of the um, strategies that I'm fairly well known for are, are actually some of my um, creative toddler strategies. And I just wanted to kind of download my brain into um, Still Awake, which is book baby number three. Um, so it's for toddlers to tweens. Um, so, I mean, you know, people always want to pin me down on exact age ranges for these things, mm -hmm. which I find really difficult. But um, I, I agreed in the end that we would say that it was loosely sort of 18 months to 12. But um, some people with a 12 year old might read it and go, for goodness sake, no way this is appropriate for a 12 year old. Whereas other people might think, well, actually, I think my 14 year old could learn a lot from this or whatever. So um, it, it it's it's toddlers to tweens, however you interpret that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's going to be people listening to this absolutely petrified. They've got like a new baby in their arms going, wait, what? <laughs> I might have yeah. sleep problems later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, I, I think the that sounds a bit depressing, doesn't it? That, you know, oh, my goodness, you're still going to be struggling with sleep. Um, when they're four or ten or whatever and I, I don't think that's the way it goes I think that sometimes um, your baby sleeps pretty you know easily actually and then you run into struggles later on mm -hmm. um, so it's not to imply that um, this book is for those who you know didn't get on top of it <laughs> in infancy I don't think that's true at all but I think also children you know they're, they're constantly developing and changing and they they move in and out of seasons with um, all sorts of things and that includes their sleep of course so you know you know sometimes people have particular baby sleep dramas um, and they kind of get over those and then they run into a new problem and and then what they find often is that the strategies that are often presented in even books that are sort of um, badged as you know um infancy to school age children there's there's a, there's a few books out there that, that sort of suggest that they span that age range but actually a lot of them don't actually provide um lots of strategies for older kiddies so I just wanted to really zero in on strategies that are specifically for older kiddies um so you know um we're not just talking about you know fiddling around with naps mm -hmm. um not all children in this age group will have naps um but it's extremely holistic so it's talking about lifestyle and um, boundaries and um socio-emotional um communication and peers and friendship and uh, nutrition and all sorts of stuff and and i suppose some people might say well what on earth's all of that got to do with sleep but if you read the book you'll find <laughs> out <laughs> well I'm delighted because um I've got uh, my son's about to turn two so I yeah I feel like we're at a new stage definitely when it comes yeah. to sleep um uh, just oh different different challenges you know just yeah emotional stuff um and a lot of it as well is kind of reparenting myself and yes. uh that's like I feel like that's for me the now the the challenge about sleep and boundaries and relationships and figuring out yes 
it's just new layers that I hadn't really thought yes, about. Absolutely. And what I what I well, what I used to run into a lot when I did work with clients was that, you know, so many of the lovely families that I worked with who were really invested and committed to responsive, gentle or attachment parenting or, or however you want to you know phrase that quite a lot of them found it really difficult actually when their kids um, began pushing up against the boundaries and um, you know perhaps parents sort of seem to sort of run out of tools at that point because you know when you've got a baby their needs and wants are the same thing you know if you've um, committed to responsive parenting you don't really overthink that you just go right well do you know what that's fine if you need a cuddle you can have a cuddle if you need another feed and it's only been 20 minutes well you know that's fine <laughs> just yeah. just have another let's have another feed it doesn't matter we, let's just go with it um, but actually um some of those sort of ideologies and ways of thinking don't always work as well with older children because actually boundaries become increasingly important to help children feel safe and it's not about you know dressing up um you know a harsh style of parenting in in you know in, in a kind of well this is going to be um the right thing for your child you're doing the right thing or um you're doing them a favor in the end they've got to know who's boss that's not what i mean at all it's about um it's about giving them um the boundaries that that is the boundary and i will support you with the boundary and i'm here for you and i will sit with you with that boundary and and all of the, the big feelings that you have about that boundary, whether that's that you can't play with the toilet brush because it's gross, <laughs> or you um, can't poke the dog in the eye, or you can't. Or, whatever I feel like you've been looking inside my home today, like those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is my daily life. Oh, those are the conversations gosh. I'm having every hour. I, I once, I once found my eldest trying to clean the bathtub with the toilet brush, and honestly, I just. I didn't know whether to sort of die or vomit or swear or um, I, what is I it with the toilet thought. brush? My son is I don't know. fixated probably because I I yeah. shriek every time he goes near it. It's probably hilarious to him. It's it's just it's just rough. Um, I I think they just latch on to stuff that's just rank, don't they? <laughs> Kids yeah. are gross. No one warns you. No, I know, I know. Um, but I think that's really interesting about the, the needs and the wants. And I think that can be, you know, and a, a lot of the clients that I work with are very committed to gentle parenting. And, you know, and there's so many reasons why you'll be drawn to that, aren't there? You know, it could be due to your own kind of childhood history. You might have had a, a difficult childhood yourself, maybe strict parents or you know or, or traumatic experiences yeah. and you could be drawn towards a more gentle approach because of that or you might just have read lots about child development and thought yep that makes sense to me I'll go with that path you know there's all of these reasons and then when you're actually faced with your child there there in that moment it just brings up all this stuff doesn't it and um yeah. there's no there's not there's no training for it I guess no, no there really isn't um and that's that's why we need different tools. That's why we need to think about, you know, children's self-esteem. And we also need to do some thinking about our own background and, um, you know, how triggered we can sometimes feel when our kids have meltdowns or, you know, actually, um, you know, whether we're sensitive to certain, you know, 
environmental stresses or whatever it is but actually all of that impacts on our well-being and therefore our ability to be able to regulate our little ones and that you know that's why um, all of that stuff is so relevant to sleep yeah yeah definitely and I think I feel like culturally obviously there's this hangover we have about you know this assumption that children don't have real feelings or that they're not whole people yet and therefore just leave them to it they'll figure it out or if you ignore the bad behavior it will go away or those and lots of us were parented that way ourselves lots of our parents were parented that way you know ignore the tantrum shut them off yeah. the, you know all of that stuff put them in a time out they'll just get over it and then it can be a challenge I find sometimes to then to sit with my own child's difficult feelings and not want to fix it you know and to understand that that's the he's going to fight that boundary and like it it's my job to put the boundary there and I know it's yeah. an appropriate one but he's not going to like it and then no. you know and I think that's what I meant you know earlier when I was talking about people who might come to gentle parenting because they've got some you know we've all got our own issues and then that can be really difficult can't it because you don't want your child to cry you don't you know you no one wants to see that distress so it's, yes and it's I think tough. I think sometimes that can do something quite visceral inside us as well so it, particularly if we weren't gently parented when we see our kiddies having a meltdown actually that can um that can trigger some really uncomfortable and deeply held feelings mm. um, that, that may well be self-conscious um, self or even subconscious yeah. is what I was trying to say. Um, but I think, I, I think that's a really important thing to acknowledge. And um, it, I'm not saying it's an easy one to get over, but I think the more we think about it and the more we talk about it and the more we just practice um, sitting with our littles when they're having a tough time, and saying, I hear you, um, I, I can see you're having a hard time. Mummy loves you, mummy's here for you. Um, I'll sit with you, I can rub your back if you want me to, or I can hold your hand. Um, I'm still not gonna let you clean the bathtub with the toilet brush, but I'm here for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or whatever it is, it might be something bigger and badder than yeah. the toilet brush, of course. But you know, the point is that we don't want to belittle um, what it is that children are thinking and feeling so if they're if they're upset about you know their sandwiches cut the wrong way or a, a biscuit that breaks or um, you know they they can't go higher on the swing and also stop on the swing at the same time or whatever <laughs> other crazy illogical thing they're requesting um, it's not their fault they just don't have the life experience yet to know that actually in the grand scheme of things having triangle sandwiches instead of square sandwiches is really not a deal breaker yeah they just they're just not there yet and we need to we need to show up and be adults about that yeah and I think we're very lucky to be parenting in a time that we that we kind of know that now at least you know at least we have that information at hand yes. it's just it's hard sometimes to it really uh, to is and I think it. I think what becomes hard is how you translate that into um night time and sleep mm. because of course everybody feels a bit more frayed at night time um, and you know enforcing boundaries around bedtime can become really difficult because actually it's the end of the day everyone's on a low ebb I often call it kind of the gutter of the day it's when everybody's kind of just their energy levels are in the tank 
Um, and it's really difficult. It, it might seem really easy to think about sitting with feelings and all of that stuff in the middle of the day, but actually when, um, when you're exhausted and fraught and frazzled and you haven't eaten and you desperately need a wee and all the rest of it, it's actually really difficult um, to, um, you know, to try and figure out actually what is the plan for bedtime so that we're not here for three hours tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you're committed to gentle parenting doesn't mean that you're not impatient and frustrated and feeling those yeah. things on the inside, does it? So yeah, totally, um, totally. Yeah. And so what age do you think that uh, needs shift over into the world of wants? Oh, I, <laughs> it's a I, tough question. I do, yeah, it's a really difficult one. I, I do get this quite a lot. And it I think that it depends a lot on individual children, which I know is a really annoying answer, but I don't like putting an exact age on it because I think it depends on the context. I think it depends on what the want is. And I think it depends on the child and their cognitive and social and emotional development. Um I'm not a big fan of um, sort of applying some of the sort of sitting with feelings and, um, you know, crying in arms strategies to infants. Mm. Um, I, I, I see quite a lot of people who sort of profess to be um, gentle sleep advocates doing that. And I'm not really OK with it because I think that actually for. Um, for children who don't have a bit of language and a bit more cognitive understanding, which generally speaking is going to be, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20 months for, for a lot of children. I think for children who don't have that cognitive understanding and a bit of language with which to communicate, I think that can be incredibly stressful for them. So um, I, I think in terms of sitting with and allowing children to have a big feeling that you support and you don't necessarily um, capitulate to I think um, we're talking about children who do have a little bit of understanding and awareness um, I think there are certain things though that can apply to younger children and you know certainly to older babies kind of you know somewhere between six and 12 months so for example if if a baby is um i don't know let's say they're playing on a play mat and the adult is in the room and the baby really wants to be picked up so they kind of put their arms in the air and they start fussing and whining and they want to be picked up um now they probably can wait until you've finished dealing with something boiling hot on the stove for example they they probably if you're there with them um, they can probably tolerate you saying, I'm right here, my darling, but actually I'm just busy or I just got to pee. I have to pee. Um, you can, uh, I'll leave the door open or whatever. I, th I think there are some things that children perhaps, um, uh, you know, we, we can begin to see where there's a need versus a want um, a bit earlier, but I don't know if that answers your question. I, I think it's yeah. very, very variable. Yeah, I no, it does. I think it's, I, I often get asked it on like kind of Instagram Q and A's and I just think, God, like how would I ever, this would be a PhD subject, I think. You know, yeah. like I think it's such a huge, yeah, there's so many different factors, especially when it comes to sleep as well. 
and yeah. emotional like, I mean, needs I, and wants. I think, and... I think night feeding is it's a classic example, isn't mm. it? You know, I'm I, that's why I'm not a massive fan of doing complete cold turkey night weaning in children who don't have at least a few um, verbal and cognitive um, sort of expressive skills under their belts, because I just think um, they're going to get very, very, very upset and dysregulated. And I think this is where parents also need to trust their instincts, because I think fundamentally, if it feels wrong, it probably is. So if you're holding a 10 month old, and you're not feeding them and they want to be fed and you know darn well they want to be fed and you're trying to you know put some um some some stricter boundaries in around night feeds you know there may be a, a time when you can do that and they tolerate it but if it's if it's at a time actually when they've got a lot going on and their their little brain is busy or they're dysregulated or they're you know, there's a lot of change in their little world or whatever it is. And they're telling you loudly and clearly that they're not coping with this right now. I, I, I genuinely think that actually as parents, it's our job to listen respectfully to that and say, OK, do you know what? Um, I'm the grown up. Um, you know, perhaps this isn't the time. And, uh, you know, of course, if there is no choice, as in the parent is, you know, falling apart. And I'm really, really mindful that some parents really are falling apart then I think we need to find another um, equally responsive parent to give that exhausted parent a break and, and a rest so that they can, um, uh, you know, get the, the break that they need, but we're not being non-responsive to the little one either. Yeah. It's so hard to talk about baby sleep in general terms, isn't it? Like generalising. really is. There'll be some people who are in literal hell for a really long time and there'll be some people who'll be dealing with a more comparatively manageable situation so I'm always mindful that when we talk about these things each circumstance is going to be so different isn't it it's um it's yeah it's and and like you say that's where that parental instinct comes in and knowledge of your child and trusting yourself and doing what helps you stay calm as well so if tonight the feed is gonna fix it go with the feed it's okay you know it's if that's what calms everybody down I always think that's we've got to allow us we've got to be gentle with ourselves I agree and you know and I it's it's not about I don't know sometimes people try and make this quite a polarized argument and and say well you know you're ignoring the needs of parents Mm. or um or you're conversely completely ignoring the needs of children and I I genuinely don't think for the vast majority of parents it's ever that um, polarized and black and white I think it's a constant kind of um, dance between actually who do we need to just shift the scales in favor of right now in this moment and you know actually if you're desperate for a wee it's going to be you know the adult who actually needs to have their needs met as a priority right now mm-hmm. um and if it's a day when actually you know maybe a little one's had a difficult day they're ill they're you know getting a new tooth or whatever maybe actually even though possibly we've made some progress with reducing night fees actually maybe this is a night to not push it maybe we just need to scale back and accept that actually things don't go in a completely linear direction they do fluctuate they go up and down we have you know plateaus and times when we seem to go backwards completely 
And that's all okay, because that's what being responsive is all about. It's about saying, well, actually, you're coping with this really well. Let's press on um, versus, okay, this doesn't seem to be working tonight. Let's just call time and we'll try again tomorrow or next week or whatever. The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality secondhand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com, to sign up today. And so, okay, so let's think about um, toddler, well, kind of older children. So we've got our two to tweens. Uh, what's the kind of most common challenge that you come across then for is I would guess it's escaping the bed in the middle of the night but all bad bedtime oh. battles I don't know what, what comes up the most for you um I I get a lot of very very protracted bedtimes mm. so bedtime taking you know two hours or just a really stressful bedtime with um, lots of coming out of the bed um after bedtime um, but yes, you know, nighttime trips into the parental bedroom, that that's definitely a thing. <laughs> uh, and early rising, though, I would say those are probably some some pretty big ones. Yeah, I think it's because I've had a couple of uh, three year old clients recently and, and the, the mid like the kind of musical beds has been an ongoing theme for me this year. And I think that's because <laughs> I think initially parents, are well, the parents that I work with, they're kind of they're often like yes absolutely you can come in for a cuddle that's really nice and then it, but then they discover that that actually no one's getting sleep and their child is actually a part donkey and that they want to like talk all night and pl- plait their hair and do all this and it's like it, you're it, you're fine to sleep here but we can't make our bed now a playtime at 4 a.m because yeah, this is that's not, not cool that's not ideal so um that's what I've and I think as well you touched on this earlier about how uh, lockdown and covid has has changed people's mental health and their dynamics within the family and obviously little ones are picking up on anxieties in the home or they've lost their friends they've lost school or nursery and they've got new feelings it's just it's a lot for families to deal with isn't it it really is it really is and um it's all pretty interrelated so you know we're, we're probably getting less exercise they're probably um probably eating not quite as well a lot of us um there's there's you know a lot of parents who are um juggling astronomical amounts of things and tasks and work and working from home and juggling kids and you know all of that stuff it's unbelievably difficult um i know because i've I've done it and Mm. you know we're all in the we're, we're not all in the same boat and that's been said many times you know we're all in the same same storm aren't yeah. we but we're not all in the same boat but um you know many of the issues are quite similar so I think we're not we're not exercising perhaps as much we're perhaps not eating quite as well 
um we've put on a bit of weight i don't know about oh. you but what are you talking about Lindsay? <laughs> this chair is about to buckle beneath me <laughs> but i think a lot of kids have as well and certainly in, in my own child's class um you know everybody's everybody's you know put on a few kilos you know and um that's so that's a thing and i think also kids have been party um and witness to a lot of adult stress mm-hmm. um and a lot of um you know subliminal anxiety as well as overt anxiety whether it's about finances or you know whether people are anxious about their health or whatever whatever it is that they're anxious about um kids have been witnessing that um whether we like it or not um and you know i think a, a lot of relationships are under strain a lot of you know partners and and marriages are under strain because you know it's it's been a it's been a killer year hasn't it it really I, has i can't believe we've been through it i was talking to some friends about this because i think about my own circumstances i think god like how did i survive that and then i think about yeah. 10 other people that have had it so 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 much harder or completely different and I don't know like how did they survive like I know that sounds a little bit dramatic but I really can't believe that we've been through what we've been through um it's been tough isn't yeah. it and you know there, there have been a number of research studies that have found you know a bit of a divide you know some people um that was uh, Amy Brown and Natalie Schenker's research they were you know, mm. they were exploring the experiences of um breastfeeding families and what they found was that um, some families have actually had a, a, a great time, actually, but they were largely people who had some privilege to start with. So they might have had a garden, you know, mm. bigger house, more finances, um, you know, partners on furlough, well-paid furlough yeah. or, you know, the ability to work from home or um uh, you know not screwed over by their employer and then there were other people you only you only need to look into um, campaigns like pregnant and screwed and you know um, uh, there have been a number of campaigns haven't there about you yeah. know job insecurity from people who've been working from home and all of that people who have been you know financially um, you know negatively impacted by um, lockdowns and covid and, and lost their jobs or whatever mm-hmm. but actually there's a whole other group of people who've actually you know they, they don't know how they've got through or they've barely got through actually mm-hmm. um so there's a lot that yeah. there, there's there's a huge amount and i i, I think we'd be daft I, I don't think anybody thinks that children are immune from this um and i think um, I think a lot more needs to be said in the public domain, really, about how all of this is affecting children and, and how it will affect children in, you know, the decades to come. But certainly right now, um, from the moment really lockdown started, I was just inundated with older children um, with anxiety and problems with sleeping, um, sleep onset insomnia. Uh, waking up in the middle of the night unable to go back to sleep all of that kind of stuff that's that's become very very prevalent Um, and yes I think a lot of children have reached out for comfort in the middle of the night from their parents and you know a a lot of parents very sensibly gave it (laughs) um, because you know that's that's what you do you know your child normally sleeps okay Um, they seem a bit scared or a bit worried or a bit anxious okay well sure you can come and have a cuddle you've had a nightmare of course you can um let's not overthink that but then all of a sudden it's sort of three months down the track and oh crikey yeah (laughs) we're still here 
yeah that's actually all all of my older clients actually yeah it's been that it's been like a year later and it's like oh we're still in this um survival mode thing and we've yeah uh the the boundaries have got blurred you know I don't know how to bring them back in and I don't I saw my child go through that anxiety and I don't want to cause more anxiety now by making big changes I think that's that's difficult isn't it it really is. So it's about lovingly putting those boundaries in place and then finding um, some compromises that, that work. So, I mean, a, a really, really simple tip is um, if they need to come into your um, room in the middle of the night, you say, right now, darling, tonight, if you need to come into, um, you know, our bedroom in the middle of the night, and what we're going to do, we're going to set up a really special bed by the side of my bed. I'm going to set you up a special little bed because actually you're so big and wriggly now that we'll all sleep so much better if you have your very own special sleep space. So you're going to sleep down here and I'll hold your hand. It's fine. Um, but you're not going to come in our bed. You're going to go in the special bed. And sometimes just making a very, very small change like that Um, makes a big difference it makes it slightly less appealing (laughs) for the child (laughs) but also um, you're putting in place the boundary while also acknowledging that they might need you they might need your physical proximity and that's okay Um, but these are the parameters um, that that we can tolerate that right so you know you can you can go here and then you know you might you might say, right, okay, now what we're going to do, you're going to stay in your bed, kiddo, but I'm going to set up a special bed in your room. So we basically reverse it. So once once they're getting on okay with the floor, but in the parent room, then we flip it. So they're back in their room and the parent, you know, plans to camp out there for a few days. And we just try and get out of the habits. I think sometimes kiddies, they almost get like a muscle memory. Their little feet, they just know where to go. They flip out of bed and they go patter 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 down the corridor and straight into the room it's like a well-trodden path and sometimes just kind of interrupting that muscle memory and stopping them from even getting out of bed in the first place by you being right there sometimes that's a good approach just to kind of you know um, stop that in its tracks so to speak yeah that's great. That's that's very helpful. I feel like people really appreciate having those tips because I think they it's worry not, that it's if, not if science is yeah. it, but it, it, it's just okay. Sometimes people feel so stuck in a rut that they're like, oh, for goodness sake, I, don't, I literally don't even know what to do. And and that that the the strategy that's often trotted out is when they come into your room, gently take them by the hand and lead them back to bed. And that sounds brilliant in theory, but if you've ever tried that, I mean, honestly. I, I think maybe I tried it once with, with my eldest and it was ridiculous. I mean, either what that looked like was me leading her back to bed like hundreds of times, which again, you think, well, just suck it up, get it done. But actually, if you're already exhausted, there's no way that's going to be sustainable, especially if it's not just three or four nights. It's horrendous. Lindsay, a friend of mine did that and she counted. She did it 135 times in one night because it got to the point where she was like, I've done it 10 times. Let's just see how far we go. And she she couldn't believe it. And then the next night, (laughs) I think she just discovered a way to basically her daughter had learned to take her sleeping bag off like she was still very little and she just worked out that if she put the sleeping bag on inside out she couldn't access the zip and therefore she just (laughs) stayed in the bed (laughs) you're like 
Oh, why didn't I figure that out before? <laughs> but like, uh, like uh, over a hundred times walking back and forth with this two-year-old. Yeah. 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 I just yeah. think that's it's... just miserable for the parent. Like whether or not that works, not it can't be worth it, surely. I don't know. It's just... No. Well, there's, I haven't written anything like that because I just think, you know what, if I if I wouldn't do it, um, if, and I know what it's like um, to be absolutely exhausted and... I know that most people have not got the patience for leading their kitty back to bed. And also sometimes you lead them back to bed and literally the second you start to walk out the room, they start to cry or they follow you back to the door and you're like, well, now what? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really stupid idea because now we're just, um, no one's getting any sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. It's really, I think parents worry that if they camp out in the child's room, then they've set up a new habit and therefore Mm. then they'll never get out of that room. You know, that they're just, they're just changing the geography, the geography, but the problem is the same. Changing where the problem occurs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. And I, you know, I think we have to think of these things sometimes as sideways steps and sometimes well not sometimes I would say nearly all the time you need to use a combination of strategies um so you might need to use one strategy to get them to stay in their own room and then you have a situation where you're like right brilliant job done except now I'm stuck in their room so now you need to use a different strategy to begin to build their confidence um so that you're able to leave the room so you might need to deploy you know another tool um, and I think I think sometimes where people get a bit stuck is they think that you just need one tool and that will be it, job done for the for the whole um, sleep story. But actually, it's that's not my experience. My, my experience is that you need multiple tools and you need to think of it as a sort of a multi-stage process. Yeah, and, and trust the process and trust yourself and yeah, and but it it's hard, isn't it? And I think that's another problem with the way the world is organised right now is that we're also isolated. So those conversations that you might have had with other parents have reduced and, and cut back and therefore people feel like they're just alone with their child in the night and they don't know if anyone else is having the same drama. Yes, um, yeah. And solidarity is incredibly helpful, isn't it? it? It's just so good to know that you're not alone and... Um, that you're not odd and your child's not odd yeah. <laughs> um there's uh, it, such power in that I think it's so simple but it's powerful definitely and if you've got a particularly sensitive child um and knowing other people with children with similar temperaments or emotional needs then that's such a relief isn't it because it people will perhaps tell you not even directly but make it pretty clear that they think that you've done something to cause your child's you know sensitivity and that you've been too soft or too you know you've been walked all over and therefore they're getting up in the night because you've done something wrong so I think knowing that it's not just you is so is such a big part of forgiving yourself because it's not your fault I think I think it probably goes back to the you know the the good baby and the good Mm -hmm. mother and the good parent principle because I think in our minds we also think that the opposite is true so I think you know, when, when we use objective criteria like feeding and sleeping to measure our worth as a parent, um, 
I think it's quite easy for us to reverse that and think, well, actually, if they don't sleep, then we are clearly sucking at parenting. Mm. Um, I think that's probably where it where it ultimately comes from. And I, I think, you know, if, if there's one phrase I wish we could ban, actually, it would be, you know, um, the, the good the good mother, good parent kind of concept, because actually it doesn't exist. And um, most people are, are absolutely nailing it by showing up and being responsive and accepting that you know we're, we're all kind of making it up as we go along um and that's okay and kiddies are um kiddies are amazing they can they can cope with us um winging it that we don't have to get it completely right all of the time yeah in fact it's probably better for them to have imperfect parents i think i think having a perfect parent would be a horrible experience for a child I don't think it would be yeah I mean I I often recommend kind of modeling getting it wrong and Mm -hmm. um you know what we do when we get it wrong so going oops oh well (laughs) let's you know mummy's dropped something on the floor flipping it what a mess okay let's clean it up no big deal it's just it's just mess (laughs) um and and not berating ourselves like you know not saying oh I'm so stupid um I caught myself doing that um uh the, I can't remember when it was I can't remember even what context it was but I said oh I'm so stupid I think actually it was about my stats for my research um and I was saying oh I feel so stupid today and my kids um this, this made me feel better like I might have possibly done a good enough job mm-hmm. um not perfect I add but good enough <laughs> because both of them said mommy you're not stupid and I was like Aww. right there we go yes you're right I'm not stupid in fact um that was a that was a, a, a daft thing for mummy to say because she's not stupid but she's finding this really difficult and what do we do when we find things difficult okay we we might need to think about it in a new way or we might need to read a book or we might need to you know talk to somebody who knows more about it than us or we might need to um you know watch a youtube video but there will be a solution and that's about that growth mindset that we can instill in kids when they see us not being perfect and when when they realize that they too are not perfect but that they can try and they can learn and they can do better mm-hmm. um that's an incredible lesson for them yeah definitely and Lindsay, i would love to get your thoughts then going back to that kind of early rising situation what are your thoughts on grow clocks and those uh or if people are listening from outside of the uk the the kind of timers and things that that train children to not get out of their beds until a certain light comes on or or whatever yeah I mean you know I I, I'm always mindful I I never know who's listening to these things um (laughs) and there will probably be people who swear by them and and say oh it works great for us our three-year-old you know he wakes up and sees that there are still stars it's still you know nighttime or whatever the particular clock um that you know you might have does whatever it does um, and that's great. Do you know what? If it works, fantastic. If it, you know, for for some children, they do seem to work. They, they're enough of a visual clue that it's not time to get up yet. Um, for other children, it's a complete crock because they either don't have the uh, emotional or cognitive um, ability to be able to know what to do with the fact that it's still night time, um, or they're really not tired enough to go back to sleep again. And for those children, you know, what are they going to do with that? Just lie there in the dark. I, I don't know about you, but I I never wanted to feel like my very, very young toddlers were lying in the dark 
thinking that they weren't allowed to come and find me. I always wanted my kids to come and find me. I mean, I didn't, not at five o'clock in the morning, you know what I mean? But, but, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but the alternative, which was them lying there in the dark going, oh, I'm not asleep, but I can't go and get mummy yet. That was appalling to me. Um, and yeah. in fact, when when my my eldest was a horribly early riser and um, oh, I, honestly, I could probably write a whole book just on what she did first thing in the morning. But there were a couple of very memorable times. One time she was, I don't know, about three and a half. She, she's a very bright child. So I, I know how this sounds, but she came into my room about half past three in the morning saying, mummy, I don't understand infinity. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, nor do I. <laughs> Go away. Crazy child. It's half past three in the morning. Another time um, she she came in, she was a bit older, uh, maybe four, four and a half and said, mummy, I've read all the books on my shelf. I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a long day, isn't it? Um, and, and what she would often say was, mummy, um, the sunshine clock's not up yet, but I'm awake. Uh, and and that's, that's my problem with the grow clocks and their equivalents is that sometimes kids are wide awake, they've had enough sleep, or at least, you know, they're not tired enough to go back to sleep. And simply seeing a blue screen on a clock is not enough for those kids to just go, okay, fine, I'll go back to sleep. That actually requires quite a lot of maturity. Yeah. Yeah, and impulse control. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I something that always um really stuck with me was in Philippa Perry's book, the book you mm -hmm. wish your parents had read, and uh, how she talks about um when we take our children's like um concerns seriously, as silly as they seem to us, then one day they'll they might tell you something that is quite serious because they don't know if the infinity it what is infinity they don't know if that that's a real problem to your daughter isn't it that she doesn't know that that's a kind of a silly thing and then I think in, in Philip Perry's book she says you know one day that a piano teacher might put their hand on a child's leg in a way that's inappropriate and yeah. your child will because they've come to you all these times and said like you know all these silly things they don't they don't know what is silly and what isn't and they'll keep telling you these things and I think that's really stuck with me about the yeah. di how important dialogue and communication is yeah, absolutely we don't you know all communication is meaningful and I've I've said it for many years and I'll keep on saying it because it might be inconvenient sometimes in fact it often is yeah yeah <laughs> um, but it's always meaningful yeah. um and we can't ignore that um, so if it's three o'clock in the morning if it's you know, midnight, whenever it is that our kids need us, yes, it's painful, it's annoying, it's exhausting, it's inconvenient, but it's meaningful mm. and we can't ignore meaningful communication and expect that our children will still want to have a two-way meaningful communication with us, um, you know, just when when we're ready for it. You know, it, we, we have to show up for the little stuff, otherwise they won't trust us with the big stuff, yeah. will they? my son's just gone through the kind of that kind of pre two language explosion thing so we've just had like two weeks of just sleepless hell and at three thirty in the morning he was very much up for the day and telling me all about 
like dinosaur eggs and boom, oh, boom, boom, God. and dinosaur eggs. And I just oh. was like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, you know, but definitely, he definitely felt, not feeling it. <laughs> no. So like, I mean, yeah, I it's hell. Uh, I definitely did not care about dinosaur eggs at 3 a.m. No, um, no, who does, right? Mm, but it, but he, he did. He That's really, the really, mummy dinosaur, daddy dinosaur eggs. Mm-hmm. Okay, right, yep. Yeah great <laughs> so yeah it's it's hard <laughs> yeah exactly exactly oh man kids brains are nuts yeah they really are um they they come good though they do yeah yeah um you know one one day you well one day you wake up and you think oh my goodness how did I how did I manage to produce a really quite loving articulate gentle kind 12 year old um and you think well funny old thing it doesn't happen overnight it's from you know a million little interactions isn't it and showing up and putting the time in and that sounds really 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 easy to say Mm. um but I think I can just about get away with it because my kids really, really put me through sleepless hell for <laughs> the best part of nine years. So I, I really, really have only been getting decent sleep for about three years. I have not forgotten how grim it is. Yeah. Um, and I, it, the, you know, when, when you hear people saying, oh, it gets better, it gets better. It's really difficult to listen to that because you think, well, when mm. I'm I'm dying now I'm actually I feel like I'm gonna die of lack of sleep now but it does it does get better 